0: Well, I'm glad that we can stand under the word of God together today. And we're beginning a new series in the book of Daniel titled Flourishing in Exile. And my prayer is that this would actually be a timely book for us, as I believe it gives us some guidance as to how we might live faithfully in the midst of adverse cultural conditions, in the midst of competing worldviews, How we can live faithful uh, in the midst of pressures to perhaps conform to things that are contrary to the gospel. One of the things uh, you'll get to know about me is that I am not particularly handy when it comes to home improvement projects and working with tools. And I made the unfortunate mistake in Longview of buying a home that was built in the 1940s that needed a fair amount of work. And so I was on a steep uh, learning curve. A few years into our stay in our house, we decided to do a little upgrade to our kitchen, and we installed some butcher block countertops from Ikea in our kitchen. One night, I was installing our old sink over the new countertops, and I was under the sink and struggling to clamp it down because the counters were a little bit thicker, and so I had to MacGyver it and find these screws that didn't quite fit, And for about a half an hour, there was a lot of frustration and grumbling. And every once in a while, I found myself hitting my hammer against the sink, saying, darn it. Now, unfortunately, I didn't realize how much an impact that my behavior had on my son James. James was three at the time, and he was watching me uh, struggle underneath the sink. And I discovered the influence I had on him the next day. I dropped James off at our Mothers of Preschools uh, program at our church. And when I brought him to the preschool room, he made a beeline for the play school kitchen set. And this was a kitchen set that had a a toy oven and microwave. And unfortunately, it also had a toy sink. Uh, James proceeded to climb under the sink and take a Lego and start pounding on it, saying, darn it, (laughs) darn it. And so I had one of the more humbling moments in ministry where I had to explain myself to our preschool volunteers. The reality is that we absorb the influences. The idea is the behaviors that we are immersed in. It is true for children, and it is true for us as adults. Uh, Julie and I read a pretty humbling parenting book a few years ago called How to Behave So Your Kids Will Too. Turns out that yelling at your kids not to yell doesn't work too well. (laughs) They absorb our behavior. We are influenced by the culture we are in. In our text today, we see Daniel seeking to forge out a sense of faithfulness to God in an adverse cultural environment. And so Daniel 1 sets the scene for our journey. A little bit about Daniel. Daniel was raised in Jerusalem, and his upbringing happened under the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah was known as a great reformer who brought both political and uh, religious reform to Jerusalem. And I would suggest to you that Daniel's capacity to act with courage and faithfulness is a reflection on the formation that he received growing up. Our capacity to live faithfully, I would suggest to you, does not happen just in the heat of the moment, but it is dependent on a formation, a process that precedes those trials. And so Daniel was raised in a a time of religious renewal. And yet, after King Josiah passed, there was then an age of decline. And we pick up the story where Jerusalem has now under siege from the Babylonians and the Israelites are taken captive. Daniel is a group of some of these exiles who are brought to live under the king's rule in Babylon. And what we discover is that the king is on a mission to indoctrinate and reprogram these Israelites. He wants to form them in a different worldview, a different way of living. And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar begins by giving Daniel and his companions new names. Daniel, the name means the Lord will judge. But now he is Belteshazzar or something like that. I can't pronounce it quite well. But he's given a Babylonian name, and in that name is embedded one of the names of the Babylonian gods. This is an intentional act to try and give Daniel a new identity. And then we see that Daniel is to be trained and indoctrinated in the language and literature of the Babylonians. He is given a new education, formed with a new worldview. All that while being separated from his community, and immersed in a culture with its own customs and behaviors and values. We will see that these are values of violence and values of coercion. I'm wondering how this perhaps speaks to our experience, because I want to suggest to us that we too, while not living in this intense experience of an exile, also find ourselves in a culture that promotes ideas and identities and worldviews that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if, like Daniel, some of us do not find our source of identity in our relationship to God, but in other things, in our achievements, in our roles, in our alliances with the things of this world— While we have not been given a new name, I wonder if sometimes people place labels on us or we put labels on ourselves that are contrary to the way that God sees us. Are we sometimes named failure or hopeless? Are we named shameful? See, Daniel's original name reminds us that his relationship, his identity, is connected with who God says he is. Not what the world says, not what I say. And so perhaps we have taken on some identities that are contrary to who we really are. And maybe there's some good news for us today to know that we are beloved children of God. That is our name. Like Daniel, sometimes we are immersed in ideas and stories in our culture that are contrary to the gospel. We have seen that illustrated on an extreme form this week as we... We saw a narrative of violence and coercion being promoted. And in some cases, even twisting and infiltrating the message of Jesus. It's important for us to name that and to see that. But I also want us to go a little bit deeper today and make sure that we don't completely externalize this problem. Because I think we have a tendency to see how other people are misled, people that are on maybe the other side of the aisle to us politically or uh, theologically. But I want us to, to look inward a little bit today into maybe some of the more subtle narratives or ideas in our culture that take us off course. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, C.S. Lewis said that the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the, the slope with no signposts, the, these small ideas that slowly turn us in a different direction in subtle ways. Jerry Bridges wrote a book a few years ago called Respectable Sins, confronting the sins that we tolerate. These aren't the big sins that we would maybe lift up, but the subtle things like gossip and greed and anger. Have we perhaps absorbed some messages and ideas in our culture that are contrary to the values of the gospel? In our own ways, have we bought into a narrative of aggression in the way we speak and talk about important issues? Have we perhaps absorbed the cultural narrative that is strong in this country, that life is about the abundance of possessions and wealth? That is a key story in our culture, that that's where we find our security and our meaning and our joy in the accumulation of things. Does that sometimes capture our heart and filter into the direction of our lives? I'm wondering what it is for you today that maybe the Spirit wants to reveal some ideas or influences that are taking us off course. But the question that this text poses to us is this. How do we counteract the negative cultural influences? How do we, as Paul says, not conform to the patterns of this world? I believe the book of Daniel gives us some guidance as to how we might live faithfully in our own experiences of exile, our own experiences of cultural pressure. I really see two sides to Daniel's response. And on the one hand, we see that Daniel, when it is in his power, intentionally fasts from cultural influence. We see in verse eight that he makes this choice to fast from the king's food and provision. Now, I think there is something very significant going on here beyond just a dietary thing, and actually even going beyond just the Levitical requirements. Some people wonder if if Daniel is trying to remain faithful to the Levitical code, and that might be part of it. And that in and of itself is telling that he's going to choose to be faithful to God's patterns. But I think there's something even bigger going on here for some of the things that are offered to Daniel are not outside of uh, what is... Welcome to those who are Israelites. Wine, for example, was not prohibited. Most commentators see a very symbolic act being done by Daniel here, where he is intentionally saying that I will not be buying into this full program of assimilation. I will not strike my, uh, place my dependence on the provisions of the king, but trust in the provisions of God. There is this intentional choice to say no To this hostile culture. To fast from it. To turn to God's provision. Rather than the king's. So there's this call to to fast intentionally. Against these negative cultural influences. Or these attachments that can cause us to become dependent on things other than God. At the same time. We see that Daniel does not completely withdraw from this hostile culture. Paul in his commentary says that Daniel models models a purity without withdrawal. That he still engages with this culture. In Jeremiah 29, uh, the prophet speaks about this era in Israel's history, where this journey of exile, which will last 70 years, begins. And the prophet says... On behalf of God, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so we see this balance for Daniel. On the one hand, he doesn't get sucked into culture, assimilate to it, but he does seek the common good of this place he has planted. And we see that in Daniel's story. He engages the education system. He seeks to be a good servant and leader in this place. There is a purity without withdrawal. I think this is instructive to us, friends, as we seek to live faithfully, And a culture that is often moving in a different direction than the gospel of Jesus. And I wonder if for some of us, the challenge today is to discover the things that we need to fast from. To say no to, to reject in our culture that are having a negative influence on our life. Or causing us to be wrongly attached to something other than God for our security and our provision. Perhaps some of us might be called to fast from our engagement with media that is cultivating within us a sense of bitterness and hostility. Again, not a disengagement, but an intentional choice into how much we get sucked into these narratives that maybe shape our hearts and souls towards bitterness and hostility. I wonder if some of us might be called to fast from technology so that we can be more open to the voice of God, more connected to one another. Perhaps some of us might be called to fast from an over-attachment to our things, our material possessions that maybe we turn to for security and provision that have too strong a grip on our hearts. Richard Foster once said that every once in a while we ought to look at the things that we are too attached to, that have too much of a grip on our heart, and we should give them away. I'm not sure what it is for you, but I, I would invite us to allow the Spirit to show us what are we called to fast from that is causing us to move against the grain of the gospel. And yet on the other side of that, I want us to wrestle with this question. What does it mean for us to still stay engaged? This week of all weeks, we must rise to this call to engage culture in redemptive ways. To not withdraw, but to be part of this work of of hope and healing and reconciliation in a hurting and broken world. What does it look like for you to seek the good of the city that you have been planted in, in your workplaces, in your relationships, your families, your neighborhoods? We are called to a purity without withdrawal from society. And I want to just speak to this this word from Jeremiah 29 about leaning into and entering into a time of exile that might last for a while. I have to admit, this prospect of 70 years seems daunting. I'm struggling with just trying to get through two more months till we can get on the other side of this winter surge, let alone 70 years. But I notice in Daniel's story, in the story of the Israelites, is that they don't just wish this time away, but God says, enter into this time. There is work to be done in these experiences of exile. You see, I think sometimes we just want to wait for better times to re-engage. A couple of friends posted this funny saying on Facebook that said, I would like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. <laughs> I think some of us maybe feel that right now in a season of social distancing as this pandemic drags out. And as we are just overcome by some of the challenges we are facing culturally, there is a tendency in our hearts to say, let's just wait till it's over and then we'll re-engage. Can I challenge us to seek the good in the place where we are planted now? Not in 2022, not in July, but now. We often quote Jeremiah 29, 11, this powerful promise where it says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to give you a hope and a future. But did you realize that that statement was said to people at the beginning of 70 years of exile? We pull that text out of the context sometimes to make it think that the Christian life is meant to be filled with good things only. But the hope and the future that God promises us is often forged through the seasons of exile, through the pressures, through the challenges that God has plans for us, friends, now in 2021, in the third week of January. And so I invite you to reflect today. What am I called to fast from? But where am I called to still engage? I want to leave you, though, with some good news. And I would do a disservice to this text if I suggested that it was all up to us to navigate this difficult cultural terrain that we walk through. I want to remind us that the hero of the book of Daniel is in fact not Daniel, but it is a God who shows up and meets Daniel in these places of heartbreak and pressure and hardship. In verse 9 of our text, there are two words that are very significant. It said, God caused, God caused the person overseeing Daniel to find favor on Daniel. And God sustained Daniel when he rejected the provisions of the king. And we're going to see time and time again throughout this story that there is a God who is a very present help in trouble. And so we can turn away from the other things we, we seek for security and provision because there is a God who will meet us, who will provide for us, who will protect us, who will walk with us. So may we hold on to the hope, as the psalmist says, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. May you sense God's presence with you as you walk through your own experiences of exile, perhaps even in this moment right now. For God will cause our lives to lead towards hope and a future. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, I pray that you would meet us in our various journeys today, in the places where we might be tempted to conform to the patterns of this world, where we might be tempted to want to fast forward to better days, where we might be tempted to turn to other things for joy and security and hope. Lord, help us by your power and strength to fast from those things that are not of you. And as we do so, Lord, may we feast on you, the bread of life, the God who truly sustains and fulfills. We pray this in your name. Amen.